Welcome to the Potion Podcast, your raw look at the hospitality industry, brought to you by SHC. What is happening, PostShifters? Welcome to another episode of the PostShift Podcast. Of course, I'm your host, Sean Sewell. Um, today, we've got a very good old friend of mine, John Kukuru. Um, we met uh, 2011, 2010 here in Victoria when he came to uh, do a seminar on Shakatiba. Um, so we chat about a whole schwack load of really cool things. Um, his early days, uh, sort of moving over to being an events manager and events partner. Um, I think this is a really good conversation. We had a great chat, and uh, I hope you enjoy this, guys. Um, this might be my last week of doing Monday to Friday episodes. I think that with uh, the reopenings sort of coming, I might be backing this down to the regular Tuesday, Friday, just to take a little of the workload out. But for right now, Monday to Friday episodes, hope you're enjoying everything. Hope you're getting some value out of this and I'll chat to you real soon. Bye. Hello, mate. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Good to see you. Good to see you too. How are you? Good, good. Been good, busy, uh, usual. Usual shit. You know what life gets. You, you, you sound like you're busy as well. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, man. Um, yeah, it's been um, it's been it's been pretty. It, it's been an interesting uh, few weeks for sure. <laughs> Do you see my concern here? Just a second. I'm just setting stuff up. Um, see, my concern is is uh, the nature of the beast after everything goes back to normal. Is that yeah. it's going to continue being this busy? But plus how busy you were before all this happened. So, yeah. Like, like I'm freaking eight, nine, 10 hours a day in the, in the office right now. Um, and I was already eight, nine, 10 hours in the office before all this happened. Yeah. So, I was I little, it, it, it's, uh, it's definitely going to be interesting. I don't, I don't know what, you know, what a return to normality looks like. Um, I think we're, we're all going to be making it up as we go along. Let me uh, kick this off because I've just because I live streamed to five or four platforms. There's a there's a little there's a smidgy bit of technology I gotta to get through, which is always fun. Yeah. But people have been loving it, and everybody was raving about this one coming on. Everybody's like John Gakuru. I'm like, yep. Yeah. John gets John gets his own John gets his very own uh, his very own live stream, and then I turn this into a podcast and so on and so forth but doing i've been doing at least one live stream every day plus a podcast every day so i've been saying this i'm gonna pay attention <laughs> so a uh, cool thing is is that with the platform i use if anyone has a question they can ask it as we're going okay and whatnot so um thanks for your time man i know i know you're busy and it's kind of funny where there's some people in the industry that are taking this time to have weekends off and they work Monday to Friday. And then, whereas me, I'm like, I don't, I, if anything, I'm in the office every day of the week, just banging it out. Yeah. I'm, I mean, we're, we're, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of sick of quite a few of the new phrases that we're, that, that we seem to be using all the time, including new normal. Um, <laughs> Is is one of my least favorites. It's like uh, a nine. It's like a nineteen eighties Coke commercial. Nineteen eighty yeah. like Coca Cola, the new normal. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> um, but you know, this is anything but normal, and you know, most of us don't hope that it that it continues. You know, we're all looking forward to a day that um, 
you know, the, the world that we rem- remember comes back and some sort of, you know, balance can return to our lives. But uh, for the time being, here we are. What, do you been, what have you been busy with? Because a lot of your work is really hands-on, event-driven, stuff like that. So what have you been busy with uh, over the last couple of weeks? Yeah, so we, we can divide that in a, in a, in a few ways. Um, there's obviously what is, what is Sweet and Chili busy with? Um, what am I busy with professionally in, in leading the Sweet and Chili US business? Um, then what am, I, what am I busy with personally um, in an effort to uh, stay sane and not waste the, uh, this time that's been, been forced upon us um, or, or this kind of lifestyle that's been forced upon us recently? So um, from the Sweet and Chili side, um, it's obviously been fairly, fairly devastating. You know, if you're an events business, that's 100% or not 100%, but events business that, uh, you know, that's, that's reliance on mass gatherings. If there are no mass gatherings, there is no business full stop, no gray area, no, no, no place for negotiation. It is what it is. Um, so overnight that, um, that, that division of our, of our business, um, was essentially shuttered and, um, you know, we, we had to kind of scramble to, to really understand in the first few days of, of um, this pandemic what, you know, how serious is it? How long is it going to last? What events have we got on our books that are in jeopardy? And then obviously the, you know, the house of cards started to, to tumble. And, you know, as soon as South by Southwest cancelled four days out from, from, um, from its actual date mm-hmm. um we knew we knew that uh, things were going to be pretty pretty serious and then it was a you know a, a a roller coaster from there um with coachella fairly quickly behind that um so then we 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 knew that we needed you know we needed to restructure we needed to close our office and we needed to you know work from home like everybody else um luckily on this with, with sweet and chili um we are not solely an events-based business. We, we also do a lot of consultancy with some of the biggest brands in the world. Um, and that consultancy work, which is a lot of the thinking, the strategy, the planning, um, continued. We had to pivot into um, how do we remain relevant, stay in the conversation. And, and um, so we, we supported several brands in the US and, and around the world in their kind of COVID-19 strategies, um, you know, pivots to online and all sorts of activities there. Um, and now we're into kind of longer lead planning, you know, um, what, what does January, 2021 and beyond look like? Um, and you know, all, all of that work actually takes quite a long time. So we're, we're into kind of long lead planning, um, and consultancy, which is great. And then personally, I didn't want to waste the time. So I got myself a Peloton. If I'm going to catch something during this thing, it's going to be fitness, um, rather than a virus. And, uh, at least I'm going to try um, uh, that's really good fun. Um, you know, a couple of friends in the U S set up a, a, a Peloton group. I, I feel like Peloton owners are the new vegans. They just won't <laughs> shut up. The new um, Peloton's the new CrossFit. Huh? Peloton's the new CrossFit. Oh uh, God, <laughs> I know. And I, I feel so guilty of it, but Hey, if you know, it's, it's a positive energy rather than a negative, uh, a negative, it's a positive conversation, not a negative one. Um, and so, yeah, now there's now a group of us that write every Friday morning, um, you know, on, on Palo. It's really good fun. So that, and then I also um, uh, took up uh, a, <laughs> a university diploma in accounting. Nice. 
that is the area of uh, of business where I am weakest, I believe. Um, and so I thought I'd take the opportunity to uh, to shore that up and uh, um, get good with numbers in it. So let's take it back um, because I know a lot of people know you, but let's take it back to sort of where you where you got your start in the industry um, and sort of look at that because Sweet Chili is relatively new for you-ish, like less than a decade. Um, yeah. I think we first met 2010, 10 years ago. I think that came up on my Facebook memories just the other other week, 10, 2010, 2011, um, when you came to Victoria with Sagatiba. But uh, how did you get in the industry? When did you get in the industry and where? Oh my God. Um, so I, I started out um, as a... Um, as a bartender in TGI Fridays in Southampton in the South of England, where I went to university, um, I joined the, the new store opening team. It was actually the first TGI Fridays in the, in outside of America that they built the bricks and mortar from the foundations up. Every other Fridays was a existing building that they'd gone in and turned into a Fridays. And this one in Southampton was their first new build. So it was quite a, quite a big deal back then, um, many moons ago. And um, we we had a phenomenal trainer, um, Philippa Flipper. Um, she was American, came over from the states and trained us in this in this tiny little um, TGIs in Southampton, and that was kind of the start of it all. Um, and it's been quite funny through through um, lockdown. Um, you know, I've been reconnecting with with old friends that I'd made at that at that time, and um, you know, it, it, it was super cool. You know, I'm, I'm from a single parent family, and my mum, my mum was able to afford the tuition, but I needed to work to pay for my accommodation. So I had to get a job. Um, bartending seemed like something I could do. Um, when I was at school, we had what was called a sixth form social club and I was elected the chairman of that club. It was basically at age 16 in England. Um, we, we were able to have one beer a day and I was the manager of, of that social club that administered those beers to, to the sixth form. <laughs> Um, so, you know, it seemed, um, it seemed like, um, you know, bars, bartending and, and you know, the, and the sociability and, and social connection that comes with it, um, was something I was, I was destined for. So what we, what'd you go to school for? <laughs> to learn. <laughs> <laughs> Did you study at university? Uh, <laughs> um, I went to, believe it or not, I actually started out studying naval architecture um, which is the design of, of boats, ships, and yachts. Um, when I finished my A-levels um, at school, um, I don't know what the North American equivalent is, but you know, when you, when you finish school and before you go to university, I took a gap year, gap year and um, I, I worked for a children's charity in the UK, um, and they had eight yachts, and we, um, we would take underprivileged kids from inner city, um, inner city areas around the UK, and we would throw them onto this yacht essentially and we would use the yacht as, as a platform for for youth work um you know once you untie the lines and you kind of set sail you have to work together as a team whether you want to or not and um you know if if you're seasick and you want to return back to shore you are going to have to you know pull your socks up figure it out work as a team and get the yacht back to shore and it was an incredible experience you know i was you know 17 and a half maybe eight, 18 at the time maybe pushing 19 maybe. And, um, 
you know, I, I kind of through that experience wanted wanted a life at sea, basically, or at least connected to 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 the water. Um, so I studied naval architecture, and then I got into my second year. Um, no, I lie. I got into my second term, second semester, <laughs> and um, the the mathematics of fluid movement around the hull of a yacht or fluid dynamics um, was was a, a, a step too far. So I pulled out of that. Um, and uh, lay in the deck chair for another year and a half doing leisure management um, at Southampton Solid University. Um, we, we nicknamed it deck chair studies. It was, it was basically the, the, um, the management of businesses along the water's edge. So things like sailing schools or marinas or, you know, shipyards, that kind of thing. Um, and while I was there at university is when I started, um, you know, bartending at TGIs. And I had a couple of friends at, in my university a group who used to come and sit at the bar and I'd feed them free coffee at TGI Fridays and they would take me through that day's coursework that I needed to catch up on. And, you know, between the three of us, we, we got ourselves through, uh, through the whole, um, the whole degree, which was pretty, pretty amazing. So where, where was the, how long gap was it between um, this time in Southampton to moving to London and sort of doing that? Where, where was your big break? So uh, big break. Um, at TGI Fridays, Southampton is the cruise ship port for, for the UK and, um, and Northern Europe. So all the cruise liners from, you know, Cunard and the Queen Mary and, and what have you all use Southampton as their home port. And TGI Fridays is near the entry and exit of the, of the docks. So every Saturday and Sunday, cruise ships would, would pull into Southampton. All the, all the old passengers would pile off and all the new passengers would pile on. And in between that, all the bartenders would roll off the ship and into the nearest bar to get shit-faced. And the nearest bar was TGI Fridays. So they'd all pony up. And my colleagues at Fridays really couldn't stand those shifts. I loved them because the crew, there were so many American bartenders and there was a tip culture on board. And, you know, I would work Saturday daytime and Sunday daytime. I'd volunteer those shifts. If anyone is an ex-TGI Fridays bartender, you know that Sunday day is kids and milkshakes and, uh, I would be doing, I'd be doing a Sunday day shift and um, uh, these bartenders from cruise ships would just come and hang out and they'd be literally every seven days, you know, every Saturday would be the same bunch of people, every Sunday would be the same bunch of people. Um, and, you know, I became friends with quite a few of them and eventually they said, uh, John, you really should come and work with us on cruise ships. You'd love it. Travel the world and make cocktails. I'm like, cool. Pull your mobile phone out, put your money where your mouth is. Well, Next minute, it was about three months later, um, I packed up my entire life and, and moved to Fort Lauderdale and joined the Sun Princess of Princess Cruises. Um, and then I suppose my big break, I spent four years with Princess Cruises, um, you know, sailing the, the Caribbean, East and West Coast, USA, Hawaii, um, Mediterranean. And um, my, my best mate on cruise ships at the time was a guy called Jody Terrell, whose twin brother, Jamie Terrell, was the bar manager at Lab. So eventually when I quit cruise ships in Barcelona, um, stuck my middle finger up at the food and beverage director at the time, um, who I still haven't forgiven, uh, <laughs> uh, flew to London, uh, was repatriated rather to London. Um, and Jody said, yeah, just go, go to Lab. It's on Old Compton Street in Soho and go and ask for my twin brother, Jamie. Of course, I walked in and, you know, my jaw hit the ground because they're identical twins and, um, and the rest is kind of history. Um, Jamie, Jamie said, you know, any friend of my brother's is a friend of mine. Can you start in, in nine days' time? One of the bartenders was leaving. And that was January um, 2000, January the 9th. Wow. 2000. wow. Um, 
So yeah, I started. I started at uh, at Lab. Um, I was lucky enough to to literally walk in and 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 take over from a guy called Will De La Pradier, who remains a, a dear dear friend um, to this day. And uh, yeah, I bartended for nine months, and then the general manager um, was leaving to take up a, a brand ambassador job with Gregus, and that left the, the general manager's position open. Nobody else on the team who'd been there for for a long time, a lot longer than me. Um, was willing to step into it, and they basically <laughs> bullied me into taking the GM position, which I did, and I was general manager for four and a half years. So, how did the how did Sagatiba or Shagatiba? How have you pronounced it? You say it way better than I do. I've forgotten. <laughs> I've forgotten. <laughs> <laughs> how did how did how did that role sort of come around? Because you sort of helped launch it, and I've got a sort of hook for that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if, so. The only job I've ever applied for was that very first job at TGI Fridays. Every other job I've got to this day, um, I've got either by being tapped on the shoulder and, you know, w- would I consider this or that, or um, I've been offered it over a bar. So, you know, when I, when I tell this story, um, I usually say that, you know, ev- ev- which is true, the only job I ever applied for was the first one at Fridays. Every other job and everything I have in my life, I've gotten over a bar. Um, and and that's true of, of the Sagatiba gig as well. You know, um, after two years at Lab, um, guests at the bar would start to ask if they could, you know, can we get these Lab cocktails? I'm doing a dinner party. Can you can you or one of the bartenders come to come to my place or my friend's place, whatever, and make you know Lab cocktails for us at home? Um, and then at home became, you know, um, just bigger and bigger and more lavish. You know, somebody's some celebrity daughter's, you know, 21st birthday and could, and you know, Lab was their favorite cocktail bar and could they come and make, you know, could we come and make Rapaskas and, um, you know, for, for, for their friends. And basically I, I just got bored of doing it. Not bored, that's the wrong word. Um, I, I was doing it all in Lab's name and I, I saw an opportunity there. So um, I actually created a small consulting business, um, which I did on the side, Um and that opened the door to to what became Bar Total, which was my um, events and consultancy business, which I, I partnered with uh, one of my, my dearest friends on the planet, Ed McAvoy. Um, and you know, we started doing events and consulting, and and we launched um, we launched big brands for Pernod Ricard, which is our biggest client. We did events for them all across the UK, and um, eventually we became we became um, quite well-known and, and well-regarded. It was, it was pretty cool and pretty quick. Um, and Sagatiba, the owner of Sagatiba, Marcos de Reyes, um, was looking to launch in the UK and they were launching with a, with a distributor called Covintners. Um, and the, the then sales director of Covintners, Nick Gillett, um, told Marcos to come and see me and we would, we would be the agency to, to launch Sagatiba in the UK. We made 4,500 Caipirinhas uh, over two nights um, and the UK launches in London and, uh, Marcos pulled me over at the end of, you know, night two and just said, I, I am absolutely stunned that this little UK consulting company can make four and a half thousand perfect Caprinias. Um, it's, it, it's blown me away. You know, would you like to do more with Sagatiba in the UK? Would your company bar total, um, represent Sagatiba in the UK? So I quickly said yes, um, but then I wanted to do a, a little bit more research and found out that Marcos was, you know, just an incredible human being. Um, you know, huge philanthropist. Um, you know, he's in the world's top twenty 
philanthropists, um, you know, independently um, successful and wealthy. So, you know, to, to be blunt, I, you know, working for a Brazilian company felt a little nervy at the time. Um, but Marcos was, was solid and, um, you know, an incredible human being. Um, and so I leaned in, I said, you know what, my company won't do it, but I will sell my half of my company. I'll quit my job at lab and I'll come on full time and work for Sagatiba, uh, exclusively. And that was the start. Um, and it started with, you know, London and Manchester and Edinburgh, then it was Belfast and Dublin. And then it was, you know, Bristol. And then it was, do you know anyone in Paris? Yeah. I know a few people. Can you go to Paris? And then it was Madrid and then Barcelona and so on and so on. And, and, you know, after nine years, um, I'd launched Sagatiba in, in 62 out of its 64 countries. Um, you know, I was flying half a million miles a year, spent 48 weeks in hotels on the road. Um, and, and, you know, the Sagatiba team took, took it from the 350,000 liters when I started to a little over 1.2 milliliters when I finished. Wow. So just before I got my next question, Ryan Lane says, I love you. I hate Fernet, but I love you. <laughs> Kisses and hugs. <laughs> What's up, Ryan? I love you too, brother. I don't like Jack Daniels, if that means anything. Um, <laughs> um, so when it came, when because going from, I think a lot of bartenders these days, they go from bartending to being asked like what you were saying like being asked to do a couple of events and doing pop-ups and this sort of thing what was the biggest learning curve because like really this was still all post this is all pre-internet days so it's not like you can go and freaking youtube Goodness. oh my god you know <laughs> thank you god know, it was pre-internet well, exactly you know you can't go on youtube how do i put on an event or how do i cost that event what were the what were the 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 learning curves and the sort of holy shit moments that you had sort of building out this thing because you not necessarily zero to 60 but like you seem to like take it like a duck to water um but i'm sure as a duck to water you're really calm on the on the on the top and then underneath your legs are just rotating as fast as they can so you don't sink funny you say that that's a tgi friday's motto it's called the swan theory uh above the water cool calm and serene and underneath paddling away like fuck i use all the time (laughs) Uh, yeah, so that, that's uh, apropos. So a couple of things there. One is um, how did I kind of start the business and how did I go to work? You know, first of all, it's not rocket science. You know, we're not, we're not curing cancer or saving babies. It's, it's bars and booze. So there was a degree of kind of just common sense calm. Like, you know, the world is not going to fall apart um, if it's, you know, if, if the vodka the client wanted wasn't available and we had to get a different vodka, you know what I mean? Like, it's going to be okay. Um, so, there was, you know, I, I went at it with that kind of sense of, uh, of, of calm, I suppose. Um, the other thing was I was determined. I'm sure we all know, um, we've all worked for um, bosses that have been great and we've worked for bosses that have been terrible. Mm-hmm. I've learned more from the bosses that have been terrible than I have the bosses that have been great. The ones that have been great, I've, I've always just said, you know, I must remember to, to be more like that or do more of those things. The ones that were terrible, like, let me take this and learn from it. Um, one, of, one of the life mottos that, that I live every single day by um, comes from Nelson Mandela. I never lose. I either win or learn. So in the hard times, um, you know, when, when things went wrong, those were real learning opportunities. When things were all going great, it's really easy to be, you know, fat and dumb and lazy you know if the money's coming in and everything's cool and you know things are coasting along you know you don't you don't 
apply yourself in the same way as when things are tough. And, you know, today's global situation is, is testament to that. Um, so that was kind of my, that was kind of my attitude. There, there were a couple of things. One, I wanted to be more like the, the great bosses that I'd had and less like the assholes along, along my own professional journey. Um, and the other was I, I really wanted to be somebody that, um, that people wanted to do business with. And that just meant being honest, reliable, um, you know, working with, with integrity and a, and a high moral fiber. So that was, that was really where I went at it. You know, I, I didn't go at it with, with arrogance or, um, you know, you need me more than I need you kind of attitude. I went at it that, look, you've, you've come to me. This is what you want. This is how we do it. If you like it, great. If you don't tell me and we'll fix it, you know, just kind of, um, and I tried to go at it with this kind of honest, hardworking humility, um, and that seemed to work, you know, and it, it resonated so much with, with a lot of our clients that we went from, um, you know, bar total went from zero to almost half a million pounds a year in about 18 months. Um, it was, it was, it was pretty insane. And we ended up being retained by Pernod Ricard. And, um, and then after I left for Sagatiba, Ed McAvoy took that company and folded it into Create Cocktails, which is now one of the biggest, um, drinks agencies in, in the UK, um, and so, you know, I, I, I just, I, I just tried to be the um, client or the um, agency that I would want to work with. I know it sounds so simple to say, but there's so many people running around now, a lot of bartenders that will print out business cards saying they're consultants and off they go into consultant land. Um, and they go at it with, with, a, with an air of, of entitlement. And, you know, when you're in the service industry, I, I believe and I'm only speaking for myself, that, that we need to be in the service industry um, and service our clients in a way that we would service our guests at a bar. So that was always, you know, how I attacked it, rightly or wrongly. Nice. So when did you leave Sagatiba? <laughs> um, they left me. No. Um, <laughs> Sagatiba um, was kind of a victim of its own success. Um you know, a, a lot of years have passed, so I don't mind kind of, I, I probably haven't actually told this bit of the Sagatiba story anywhere else before. Um, and it's purely my opinion and, and conjecture, but um, Sagatiba's main competitor uh, at the time was Leblon Cachaça from Bacardi. And we, the two, the two brands, Leblon and Sagatiba, had, had very, very different strategies, um, targeting the same audience, but different strategies. They, uh, Leblon went straight after the U.S. market and Sagatiba went after everywhere else to the, almost to the exclusion of the U.S. market. And unfortunately that was, you know, that paid out um, better for Leblon than it did for Sagatiba. However, we were in 62 countries, which, which does, or 64 countries, sorry, which does represent an enormous um, distribution opportunity for, um, you know, for, for another company to purchase. And that's what happened in 2011. Campari bought Sagatiba, um, made us all redundant. And um, what I will say, though, as, as kind of harsh as that might sound, is that Marcos did an incredible thing. Um, he signed over, uh, first of all, he, he wrote off Sagatiba's debt. So the sale was was whole and complete, which, which was incredibly generous. Um, second of all, he um, signed a an eight-year profit share 
um, for every single one of us. So wow, um, I, I'm I'm still earning from Sagatiba. I get a check every year from Campari. Um, uh, actually, no, I think that's just stopped now. But anyway, you know, that's an incredible gesture that he didn't have to do. That's literally, you know, comes out of Marcos's own pocket because he could have he could have pocketed all of that rather than share it with the team. So um, it's not a huge amount of money. I, you know, I could probably could have bought an iPad every year if I wanted, but um, it's it's the principle that, that stands behind it, and um, that taught me a, a huge lesson, um, and and one that I've I've. I'm not in a position to do anything about myself just yet, but you know, I hope one day I am, and I will. I will definitely take the the lessons that Marcos uh, taught me through that process um, with me um, forever. I mean, I, it was incredibly generous. Um, so, 2011 is the short answer, um, but the slightly longer answer was, um, you know, up until last year, I was still earning. <laughs> that's inc- that's above and beyond. That's I don't think I've ever heard anyone in any company, especially maybe up the up, up, upper echelons of management, but never everybody on a team that sort of built the brand out to be purchased for the exorbitant amount of money that Campari paid for it back in 2011. So between 2011, I think the last time I saw you was 2018 for World Class Finals in Montreal. Um, when did Sweet and Chili sort of come into the fray? Um, after Sagatiba, um Another another hugely influential person in my life um, is Patrick Borg, uh, the owner of Think Spirits in Australia. Um, Think Spirits were the importer and distributor of Sagatiba um, for the years that, that, well, from day one until it was sold. Um, and probably around 2008, 2009, um, you know, Patrick and I had gotten to know each other really well. I was in Australia twice a year in March and September for the various kind of um, industry um, 10 pole events, um, in Australia and Patrick had made a promise, you know, in, in 2009, I think he said, look, Sagatiba is, was designed to be sold one day. Um, when that happens, I'm going to make two phone calls. The first phone call is to secure another cachaça. The second phone call will be to you and you, you and I will work together in Australia. You'll come and work for Think Spirits. And sure as shit, um, about two, af- two hours after the announcement was, was public information, um, Patrick called me. Um, I think it was the middle of the night in Australia and kind of lunchtime for me in the UK and, um, and said, here it is. You know, um, I've got a position for you. Um, you know, I want you to start right away, get on an airplane, pack your shit up and come and live in Sydney. I'm like, oh, my God. I just couldn't, I couldn't at that moment um, deal with it. So I said, look, I think this was maybe uh, September. And I said, I need, I need a little bit of time off. You know, I hadn't had any time off in, in nine years, really, um, with Sagachiba. Yes, it was a great life. Yes, I was bouncing around the world. Yes, it was all the travel and all that, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, all, all of that. Um, but you know, truth be told, and, and you'll hear any any global brand ambassador who's been doing this for a long time say that you know the, the glitz and glamour is is really shallow. It's um, yeah. you know it's a very solitary existence. Uh, I absolutely loved what I what I did, um, and I'm so proud of what we achieved. And I don't um, I don't regret a single second of any of it. However, it was very lonely um, out on the road for nine years by myself. Um, you know, I loved what I did when I got where I was going. I had lots of friends all over the world, an incredible network that includes you and, uh, and many, many others around the world. And, and I'm so, so grateful for it. But the time had come um, and I just needed a break. So I actually moved to Bali, um, spent two months in Bali um, doing nothing. And it was great. Um, and then I moved to, to Sydney in um, 
November 2011. Um, started working Think Spirits from day dot. Um, you know, Patrick uh, funded the, the the work visa, and off to work I went um, as the the trade marketing manager for Think Spirits Australia. Um, and that was the only job I ever had in Australia. It was uh, seven and a half years there, and I was couldn't have been happier. Was it, that, was it really that long? Yeah, maybe six and a half. But yes, it was long. Yeah, wow. I didn't think it was that long. I thought it was a couple of years. And that's where the, the infamous, uh, as Ryan Lane, I see I'm watching the comments that come up on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot on my left. I can't see any of them. So. You can't see anything. So I, I'm saying, so Phil Bailey says you're a legend, as well as Patrick Borg. Um, Love that town. When the, when the cat in the hat gives you a compliment, you have to take it. Um, but uh, is that where the infamous Fernet number plates came from? I'm, I'm sort of oh. now piecing together... The time in Australia. Journey. (laughs) So um, a little bit like, so in in my career, I I have always tried to find um, what it is that I can do that that can help me and the company that I'm working for in in tandem stand out from the crowd. There's such a busy industry and there's so many people jumping up and down and screaming and shouting and, you know, about their brands and, you know, my one's better than your one or my one's bigger than your one or whatever it is. And I, I needed to find that that kind of hook that separated me from the crowd. With Sagatiba, it was easy. There, there were two things. One, the, the role of the global brand ambassador was quite narrow. There's probably a handful of us, you know, Simon Ford, um, you know, Charlotte Voisey a little later, you know. Um, but there were very, very few. And then on top of that, I was working in Kashasa. So here I was uh, as one of the very few global, truly global brand ambassadors working in a pretty unknown um, category. Um, it just meant that I was basically the only one working in, in, in um, Kashasa, traveling the world. So everyone made time. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't more vodka or more gin or more rum or more tequila or more whiskey. It was, I, I don't know anything about Kashasa. Sure, come and have a chat. Um, and that was kind of, that was, that's kind of how um, I managed to carve out um, not only the role for myself, but but a, an amazing um, international network. Um, and then in Australia, I obviously Sagatiba had left the Think Spirits portfolio, so I was looking at the Think Spirits portfolio. I'm like, how am I going to how am I going to take what I've learned and apply it to this new role? And there was Fernet Branca. And the story of Fernet Branca, I've got to tell you this because it's brilliant. It's it's unbelievable. So um, Patrick. Uh, when Patrick was, uh, before I worked for Think Spirits, when I was still at Sagatiba, we set up this global Sagatiba um, summit at the Cannes um, Duty Free Show in the south of France. So um, after the film festival, they turned they turn that theatre and the, the Cannes um, Exhibition Centre over into a duty-free expo, basically. So all the brands and companies that you see in airports around the world all have their own show as well, and it's in Cannes. And so we, we coupled that with, a, with an excuse to, to pull all our global partners for Sagatiba into the same place at the same time and have this conference. So Patrick was there, and I, I already knew most of the people there, but I was really good friends with Pat. And um, after this conference, I was like, Pat, what are you doing? You should come back to London with me, hang out. We'll go to the lab. You can see my old London life, and it'll be awesome. He's like, shit, yeah, okay, cool. So he like, changed all his travel plans and came to London for a few days. So I took him to lab. And we're sitting at the bar at lab and I cannot make this up. And I promise as I'm sat here talking to you today, it's true. We're sat at the bar at lab, just shooting the shit, having a drink and Pat's scanning, you know, the hundreds of bottles on the, on the back bar of lab. 
and he, he spots Fernet Branca. He goes, oh, fuck, I just signed Fernet Branca. We're going to be the exclusive imported distributor for Fernet Branca in, the, in Australia. I'm like, shut your face. That's epic. Two shots of Fernet. Let's go. So bartender pours two shots of Fernet. Cheers, cheers. Neck it. Pat has a fucking heart attack. What he runs out, he goes, I've got to go find a pharmacy. I've got to go find some Mylanta or, or like, you know, <laughs> like, what the fuck is that shit? I'm like, Pat, you just told me you signed an exclusive importation distribution deal. <laughs> yeah, but I never tasted it. <laughs> How the fuck am I going to sell a single bottle of this shit? I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. How is it even possible? Anyway. True story, I swear. He's losing his mind on Facebook right now. He's he's like, I can't believe he's telling my infamous Fernet story. Man, like that, that around that year, like Fernet, a decade ago, no one knew what freaking Fernet was. Like maybe wow. San Francisco, um, maybe San Francisco, but no one really knew what Fernet was even six, seven years ago. Well, that was my uh, that was my Trojan horse for for my time in Australia, man, because I knew. I knew that if for nothing else, if people didn't remember what I looked like or my name or anything about me personally, they'd remember Fernet Branca. So that became that became the bottle that went with me to every single bar I visited in Australia. And, you know, the quicker I, I, I knew that the quicker I would be known as the Fernet guy, the better. Um, and, you know, we grew Fernet Branca volumes. Um, Pat can correct me on the Facebook feed, but... We grew Fernet Branca volumes by by I think eight x in in four years. Wow, um, which is which is pretty incredible, um, and became one of the biggest um, markets for Fernet Branca uh, in the world. And um, you know, just by just by being single minded and focused. Yes, I had a portfolio of you know it ranged between twenty five and forty five brands across my my years at, at Think Spirits, but um, you know. The, the one constant in my in my kind of delivery and execution of my job was Fernet Branca. Um, and it just made it just made us so so memorable. And then I brought the Fernet Branca Bar by Games to Australia. Um, you know, one of the great things about Pat is you can put what might sound like an absolutely ridiculous idea in front of him and he might dismiss it initially and then come back to go, hey, you know that thing that is really stupid? We should really do that. Um, and and, and that's what we did. So the Fernet Branca Barback Games was, you know, flipped the idea of, of what competition could be in our industry, um, in Australia specifically. Um, and, you know, Fernet Branca just became the thing, the brand with which I was associated. And, um, you know, then I, then I, once, once that starts, I just push it all the way. So then it's Fernet Branca plates and, you know, <laughs> my car. And it you just, just go all in. You got silly, but I, I absolutely loved it. And uh, I got a bottle of Fernet in my freezer right now. I might run and get it and have a shot with you guys in a minute. Always. Um, so what made you make the move back to the US? Well, to the US after after your time with Think Spirits, what was the what was the next progression in your career? Um, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. Um I was tapped on the shoulder by by one of the owners of Think Spirits in Sydney, and um, in my in my last few years at, at, at Sagatiba, I'd, I'd moved over to to LA um, to help with with Sagatiba in the US, and I fell in love with the city. Um, you know, I, I really I really do enjoy um, Los Angeles and you know Southern California. It's it's an amazing place to to live and work, um, and so I suppose. I'd always been um, working to find a way back here, sort of. Um, 
I, I didn't realize that, that, you know, my, my time in Australia would yield, um, you know, the best friends I have in my life and, a, and a, an incredible life and routine there that, that I do miss um, dearly. Um, however, the, the opportunity to, to um, lead and grow uh, a fledgling business in the U.S. was, was too, um, too exciting to, to pass up. It was, it's, a real, um, it's a real grind to kind of break the U.S. It, it's not easy at all. Um, and I, I was kind of up for that challenge. I've always loved being the underdog punching up rather than the big guy stamping down. Um, and you know, the challenge was, was too, was too good to pass up. Um, and it also meant I could move back to LA. Um, it was a real wrench leaving, you know, when the when the time came, it was, it was really tough. Um, and you know, I had to do a lot of soul searching. Um, and you know, I, I may never know whether, whether the decision was, was the right one or the wrong one. What I will say is that, um, you know, moving to LA, I found the, the love of my life and got married. And so, you know, life here is, is, uh, it is, is wonderful in a different way, um, than the life I had in Australia. Um, so again, absolutely no regrets. Um, I'm, I'm thoroughly challenged, but enjoying and learning every day in, in the job that I have, um, today, um, director of sweet and chili. Um, and it's allowed me to, again, um, really focus on, on what it is that I'm good at and try and um, max that out um, in the U.S. and try and try and win in this incredibly complex and um, at, at the same time maddening and infuriating but awesome place to live and work. So what is Sweet Chili? Sweet Chili. If for, the, for the people at home, well, for the people watching on Facebook and whatnot and people listening to the podcast, what, what is Sweet and Chili? So we are a global um, drinks agency. Um, we uh, were founded in the UK about uh, almost 20 years ago in London by a guy called Alan Gage. Um, he, he then quickly started uh, working with a guy called Cameron Northway in the UK. Initially, it was, it was uh, Red Bull and festivals and basically elevating the, the types of drinks you would get at a, at a, at a festival. Um, and this is a long, this is 20 years ago. So um, instead of, you know, a, a, a warm pint and a, you know, shitty vodka Red Bull. You actually got, you know, good ice, good service, you know, good banter, quick, efficient, all of those kinds of things that, that we now often take for granted at, at you know, these, these huge um, music festivals or, or events. Um, so that's where it kind of started. Um, then the financial crisis hit um, and Cameron is from Sydney. So spotting, spotting the fact that Australia was somewhat protected from the financial crisis can move back um, into the kind of Aussie bubble um, and open Sweet and Chili Australia there. A very shrewd move. Um, and then about three and a half years ago, um, they founded the LLC in the US here in Los Angeles. Um, and a guy called Shay Mutu moved over here to, to start the business in the US. I joined Shay um, and the team about six or maybe eight months after the, after they kind of kicked off here. Um, and we've, we've grown the business really nicely. You know, we have, um, we focus on three core product offerings, um, which is serve strategy, um, trade, trade advocacy and consumer experience. Um, and what we try to do is kind of weave, weave this, you know, this needle through those three things. Um, and it, it really is, it really is fascinating kind of working with these huge global brands on, on projects like world-class or, you know, some of the biggest um, vodkas and bourbons in the world and gins um, and tequilas. It's, it's, it's really incredible working on their, on their strategies and how they go to work and 
reading the tons of data and insights about you know consumer behavior and trying to trying to find that um, that that gem of an idea that will resonate with both the trade and consumers and then bring it all to life. Um, so there's a lot of strategy which I really love. A lot of kind of um, using the stuff between my ears and and kind of um, really having a think about how um, brands interact with with bartenders specifically. Um, and then on the event side, which is Shay's department, um, how do we bring all of that to life for consumers as well? So it's, it's, there's, there's lots going on. Um, but, you know, if you remember anything about Sweet and Chili, it's that we, we, we have three silos of our business, serve strategy, trade advocacy, and consumer experience. So as an, as an older industry person, um, how do Me you... Me or you? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I can say because I'm an old industry person as well. <laughs> um, how, do you, how do you keep pushing yourself and not rest on your laurels? Because I think... Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> I, can, I can easily answer that. That's, uh, that's Patrick's fault as well. Um, what wow somebody today will not wow them tomorrow. So we're, we're in this constant cycle of self-development and, and pushing somebody. If you rest on your laurels there'll be somebody champing at the bit to, to outdo you, um, outbid you, out, outthink you. Um, and it's really, you know, that, that lesson was, was drummed home in Australia. Um, you can never sit back and rest on your laurels um, because the world is full of really smart, passionate, um, intelligent people who, who um, will fill that void the second that you think you're, you're, you're the winner, baby. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it's really simple. You know, what impresses somebody today may not impress them tomorrow. So it's this constant cycle of of pushing yourself, pushing the boundaries, um, pulling. You know, the, the other thing that's really important that I found that I found has worked for me as well is um, is working with a great team that you rely on and allowing them to totally pick apart your ideas or your strategies. Not pick apart, pressure test. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you put a lot of work into something and you put it in front of your closest colleagues and, and confidants and you're like, okay, you know, you need to pressure test this thinking and that can be quite confronting and um, a lot of people have egos that don't allow them to do that. Um, I don't possess one of those. So, you know, the, the work that we put forward um, is put forward from a team. Um, yes, I, in my name might be at the bottom of the email, but you know the effort that's gone into into the work um, has come from the collaboration of a of a highly competent and very passionate team of people, um, and you know I've got the the humility to be able to ask them to go through the work that I'm putting out or put it or, or proposing and pressure test it, pick holes in it, tell me you know tell me where it could be tighter, uh, and especially in America there are so many. Um, you know, I'll tell anybody who cares to listen that the most ironic collection of words in the English language are United States of America. There is absolutely nothing united about them, especially when it comes to the liquor industry. So you've got, you know, one set of federal laws and then 50 state laws, and then you've got county and city ordinances and nuances that just really mess with with having a good time. Um, <laughs> so, you know, navigating, navigating those kind of... Um, uh, you know, I'll say navigating those perilous waters. Um, I need people on my team that speak that language because I don't speak it. Um, I can speak it well enough, but when it comes to the nuances of, of, of American liquor law, I need to have a team, um, you know, with us at Sweet and Chili USA to, to 
pick it all apart and build it back together again and make sure we can actually do what we're proposing. Um, so yeah, teamwork and what wow somebody today won't wow them tomorrow. Yeah. My mum always told me regardless of how good you get, uh, there's always someone out there better than you. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I, and I think if you're a hundred percent and if you're leading a team, if you're, if you, if you're in a position of leadership of a business or, or, or a team of people, um, I have always believed in hiring people that are better than me and not being um, insecure or defensive about that, but managing those people. So I don't need to be the best at everything. Um, I need to know who the best people are and then bring them into the projects that I'm working on. Um, you know, I consider, you know, leadership like the conductor of an orchestra. A conductor can't play all 80 instruments in that orchestra, mm-hmm. but sure as shit, they know how to make beautiful music. And so that's kind of my, my analogy for, for business leadership um, especially in America, you know, I need, I need a lead violinist, a lead cellist, you know, lead drummer, lead trumpeter, um, who can all play different parts of, 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 um, you know, of this concerto, uh, and, and then we can go to work, you know, we can, we can put great work out there. Yes. I might be the conductor who, um, you know, who presents that work and, um, but the credit is not mine. It's a team. Steve McDermott just clicked in. Said, nice to see your faces. That guy needs a fernet to his face immediately. You know that we went to the same high school, right? A year apart. Did you know we lived a street apart in London for years? Wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know. You, I don't even know how he reconnected, but he's like, yeah, I was Ooh, a grade. Away, man. I was a grade below you. I'm like, and my high school, we like my graduating high school class was 62 kids. So like I went to a small, small, like little town and a small high school and he was a grade below me. Crazy. Um, there you go. We talked about it a little bit at the very beginning, but what is your what's your outlook and plan for the next six twelve months? And I know that's really hard looking at the macro, but I think that first couple of weeks, like you were saying, like everybody's like, "What the fuck is going on? I don't know what's going to happen." And then now everybody's sort of accepting and rolling out like some ideas that are. I think there's going to be some really great innovative ideas coming out of a lot of big brands with big budgets for the next six to 12 months, but what's your outlook on life? <laughs> um, so personally, um, I think it's going to be uh, um, more of the same, you know, every day is blur's day. Um, Willie, my husband and I have, have dropped into a, a, an awesome routine at home. Um, I've got my office set up in the bedroom. He's got his office set up in the front room, which is also, you know, his TikTok studio and it's a bar and it's a restaurant and it's a gym and, um, in our front room, literally, um, it converts throughout the day into various different, um, different <laughs> things. Um, so on the, on the personal side, we've now, you know, um, we've now dropped into this routine that we actually quite like, like, you know, we're, we're very lucky that, um, the consultancy work has, has enabled us to, to, um, be quite relaxed at, at um, with, with the financial side of our, of our position, um, which is, a huge relief. So that, that isn't a concern necessarily as I know it is for many, many, many others. Um, so that's very lucky from our part. So, uh, on the personal side, more of the same, you know, tomorrow's blur's day and the day after that is blur's day and then there'll be another week of blur. Um, and eventually we will, we will come out of this thing. So then on the professional side, um, I've been asked this quite a bit. I do a lot of work with the tales of the cocktail foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I consult with the leadership team, um, for them on the marketing team. Um, so I've, I've been kind of in on a lot of conversations and meetings and kind of, um, 
how's it going to be? What, what are people going to do? What's the, what is the outlook? You know, what is the, what are we coming back to? Um, you know, even when we can open up, what does open up entail? What is, what does it mean? Um, you know, you take cities like New York. Okay, great. You can open your bar, but the rents are so high um, that those bars can't operate at 50% capacity. Um, they can't be profitable. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that are still up in the air and, and none of us have been through this before. There isn't a model to follow. Um, so I, I think for me, um, we will be, uh, professionally, I'll be, I'll be looking to take things very, um, cautiously or cautiously optimistically. Um, at the moment, events like Coachella in October are still on. I honestly can't see a field of quarter of a million people in Palm Springs, um, in October. Um, but you know, it, it, it remains to be seen. Um, I'm cautiously optimistic, though, that um, once there is a tried and tested vaccine and, you know, at least 40 to 60 percent of any particular population gets vaccinated, um, then things will will return to, you know, a semblance of, of normality. Um, and I think we live in a, in a world now where that turnaround can happen quite quickly. Um, the biggest challenges I think are that because so many have been, um, you know, are unemployed or displaced or, or lack uh, a solid income, that it's, it's those folks that will, that will continue to, to struggle, I, I fear. Um, and that puts a lot of pressure on um, consumer confidence and the amount of people that are out spending money in bars and restaurants. Um, you know, bars and restaurants are a luxury. It's often the first thing to get cut from a, from a budget, you know, um, or, or the type of bar and restaurant that you go out to. Um, so I think there's still a lot for us to, to figure out um, and, and navigate, but I agree with you 100%. I think we will definitely see a lot of ingenuity um, and um, ideas generation. One of the things that, that gives me heart is the example of the lockout laws in Australia. Um, those were pretty devastating to a few very select geographies in Australia. Um, and it, it, it totally changed the landscape of going out um, quite abruptly. Um, and yet out of the ashes of the lockout laws came some entrepreneurial solutions to what going out is and what it means. We saw the rise um, of the kind of bar restaurant um, and I, you know, there's, there's a couple of great examples in in Sydney where you know you've got a fantastic rest, buzzy little restaurant upstairs, and you've got this cool, funky little cocktail bar in the basement. Um, you know, and, and you could capture five or six hours of somebody's going out time in a single venue. You know, you could go for dinner and it's really buzzy, and then you go downstairs or you you come in, you have a, a cocktail, and you, you know the bar food is excellent because the restaurant upstairs is excellent, mm -hmm. and you know you kick it for a you know um, we we call it the occasion profile, you know, the occasion is extended, you know, what would have been, uh, let's go here for half an hour and then we'll go over there for an hour and then we'll go somewhere else for dinner and then we'll go grab a cocktail for 20 minutes somewhere else. That, that shifted um, as a result of, of small, small bar operators ingenuity and spotting the white space in, in this kind of trauma um, and creating businesses and products to fill those white spaces. Go back even further um, to the smoking ban. I was at lab when, when smoking inside bars was banned. Suddenly we had to clean, like people boycotted bars because they couldn't smoke in them. There was, you know, it, it, it was pretty crazy back then. And, you know, and then suddenly 
that wedge of lime that got kicked under the refrigerator four months ago actually needs dealing with now <laughs> um, because your bars thinks, you know, and, and they were, they were quick solutions. Um, some bars couldn't handle it. You know, the carpets were, they couldn't afford to, to, to refurbish and get the stink of stale cigarettes out of their venues. And, you know, businesses were lost, but, but what came up in their place were smart, entrepreneurial, clever solutions to the challenges confronted, um, you know, that, that confronted those entrepreneurs. So I'm always filled with, with, with extreme optimism for the ingenuity and insights and, um, and passion for, for entrepreneurs in the hospitality space. Um, they will, you know, the shape of going out may change um, and solutions within those new frameworks will be created and new products and new going out and new um, ways of, um, you know, being together and socializing and, and feeling that common human bond will, will be made um, and those spaces will be created and we will fill them um, and it will be great. Um, what they are, what they look like, I don't have the answer or when they will come, I don't have the answer. But I don't think that coronavirus is going to permanently and forever change um, what it is to to need and want um, social connection with, with, with the communities around us. And I think it is the bar, the pub, the restaurant, the nightclub. Um, these are the spaces where, where we are able to um, to feel those connections. I think they are they are absolutely fundamental to to human culture um, and societal connection. So there will be solutions. They might be different, but they will be awesome, and we will fill them. And we will look back at 2020 um, and go, you know what? It was fucking horrific at the time, but look what's come out of it. Dude, I thank you so much for your time. I I talked to Charlotte the other day because I, I did a live stream with Charlotte Voisey just the other day, and. Um, coming from a, a kid from Australia who moved to a small town or a small city in Canada and has had the, the opportunity to get to, to meet a lot of people who he saw as peers and, and mentors coming through his career and then getting to hang out when you came to Victoria and the, the event you did at Tales that was fantastic and the, the rooftop poolside, like that event for me, that was, I think <laughs> that was my, uh, that was one of my first Tales. And, uh, you know, there's not many opportunities where like my second big trip in North America and I'm sitting up there having a barbecue with Jim Meehan flipping steaks and Sasha Petresky making cocktails. And you're just like, what did I do to get this? And then now I got a podcast where I get to hang out and didn't know you went to school for naval and architecture and all that sort of stuff. So (laughs) I really appreciate your time and uh, it was great catching up. Likewise, man. Thanks for the opportunity. Uh, congrats to you. You've, you've done all of those things by, by you know, like what I said earlier, just by being a decent human being that, that other people want to want to be around and interact with. And, and that's, that's uh, you know, when all is said and done, those, those are the things that we can look back and be really proud of. Well, have a good afternoon. I know it's two o'clock. I've actually got to get on a live. I've actually got to get on a Zoom call with uh, Katie, uh, Caitlin Stewart. In like oh, amazing yeah so five minutes we're, we're part of a, a grants a grants thing here in Canada and so every Saturday around this time we spend two hours going through grants and drinking and chatting and shooting the shit with like Amber Bruce and Alex Black and oh, everybody in Vancouver Please so pass on my, my best wishes and, and and love to them all that's uh, that's super cool hey buddy you have a good afternoon and uh, give love to your fam yeah yeah will do man thanks so much see ya bye take it easy bye
Thanks for listening, Pose Shifters. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I really enjoy sitting down with friends and peers and uh, just chatting about the industry and getting down to the nuts and bolts of what's really going on out there. Uh, Make sure you like, subscribe, comment, everything on all the platforms. Just hit it up and I'll do my best to answer any queries or questions you have. I'll see you next week, guys. Bye.